happens in every other sport. For us to make like these exceptions, this is what people do in every sport. They go, our sport is different. Yeah. Like every business owner does it. My, <laughs> right. my business is unique. Yep. No one experiences these things that my business is going through, which everyone says in every relationship. Yep. Everyone has their own little flavors of the same thing. So yes, LeBron James dominated in high school. He dominates in the pros. Like, yep. yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to happen in our sport too. Haley Adams dominated when she was a teen. She's going to get probably – now she's in her second year and being a top five athlete or top ten athlete. She's probably going to do really, really well going forward. But that's not – because that happens doesn't mean it's the rule. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Good, Patrick. Thank you. Today we are diving back into our long list of good questions that listeners have sent us for. Um, this is actually the 20th iteration of the two-minute drill. We've done 20 of these, which is pretty cool. So, yeah. So it's our 20th anniversary edition. That's right. That's right. So we've got, as we usually do, we've got probably about 10, maybe 12 questions here sent to us from listeners uh, in somewhat random order, but definitely within the, the scope of things we often talk about here on the show. And your challenge is to answer each one of these within two minutes. Ready? Challenge accepted. All right. Let's First go. one. I feel like I've lost my mental game. I used to be able to push through anything, but lately I've been super fragile and defensive. What are some ways that I can fix my mental, uh, my mental state and, and um, train without fear of failing? Okay. So this is, um, this is actually fairly common uh, where people can flip-flop between this kind of um, I'm, I'm, a stud, I'm a warrior, I'm a fighter, I'm a competitor, uh, bring it on, I can deal with anything, to actually going like, whoa, <laughs> I am nervous, I'm afraid, um, I don't want to fail, um, there's so much judgment, I'm nervous, I don't like this anymore. Mm. And it's um, no one is always just on one side of that. It's very common to go back and forth between the two. So the first th realization for this the person asking this question is, you're you're not a special snowflake. This is this is common. So um, don't feel embarrassed about it or anything else. Mm -hmm. Tactically, what we can do in this scenario is, um, well, first the, oops, my my tiny little ears don't want to hold on to my earbuds. <laughs> I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> God, my AirPods, whatever they're called. I don't even. Yes, that those. Um, so. So here's what's happening when we flip between those two things is there's some form of the, the flip-flop between the growth and the fixed mindset. Mm. The growth mindset says, um, bring on any challenge. I can accept anything. Um, challenges make me better. Challenges make me stronger. I am a learning machine. It's not about pass or fail. It's about, um, it's about the growth in the process. The fixed mindset says, um, if I don't pass this test, I am a failure. I am tied to my results. My 
what I have, my skill set is born into me. And what I need to do is seek out tests that I can pass. And if I can't pass them, I should avoid them at all costs. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is realize is that those are not inherent to one or the other. You are going to learn how to become more of a growth-minded individual. And growth-minded individuals have more grit, they have more, um, they learn, they grow, they are more fulfilled, they are happier. So we want to lean into that growth side. I realize I'm bumping up against the two minutes. So here's what we can do really tactfully, really easily, how we can make this thing happen is this is going to sound weird coming from a coach that trains people to get faster, stronger, and win the CrossFit games is stop timing your workouts. Mm. So just take away the pass fail. Just it doesn't matter anymore. Stop leaderboarding. I talk about the power yeah. of the leaderboard a lot of times. Take it away. Take away all the results type things that are going to um, – that are gonna could necessarily be a roadblock and just experience the joy of what brought you to this thing in the first place, which is the sweat, which is the endorphins, which is the feel goods, which mm. is the work hard, which is the discipline, which is the routine. And just lean back into that and ground yourself back into what you originally were when you started this thing, which was just this eager person to trying to get better. Yep. Love that. Next question. What is the most valuable lesson you have learned from fitness? How do you apply that lesson to your day-to-day -day life? Okay. So this is one of the fitness uh, and sport for that matter are kind of microcosms of life. And I love the fact that what we do in CrossFit, it's, here's what my saying is this, is what we do in the gym echoes outside the walls. And the difference between what you do in the gym and what you do outside the gym is only that you can't hide in the gym. Mm. The thoughts and the words and the approach and the discipline that you take in the gym has a magnifying glass on it and you can't hide. If I'm training an athlete and I can see that they're kind of like half-assing it, like it is so obvious if they are trying to cut a corner, it is so obvious if they are having a bad day, it is so obvious. Outside the walls of the gym, when you're walking through everyday life, those things can be hidden really, really well. So I guess that what is the lesson I've learned is that the approach you take to, it's about intentionality, mm. which is like the approach you take and mostly from a mental standpoint is going to direct the majority of your life. Mm -hmm. If you come into the gym and you're not gonna, if you're not there for the right, for a, a reason, um, like what are you doing? I think that you have to approach everything in life with intention. And that mm -hmm. starts with awareness, that starts with per, uh, perspective, it starts with goals, it starts with being able to follow a process. Um, and there's always the cliches that, that you could we could point to of like, you know, it, it's, um, it's about hard work and hard work pays off and it's about all the rest. But I think it's kind of a higher level thing than that is like this fitness thing, it's um, intentionality.
And when you are a competitor, you have a certain mindset of which you are going to bring to your training. I am not a competitor right now, but that intentionality is, it's not that it's lost, it's different. So what I'm doing is I'm trying really hard to play the consistency game, really hard to listen to my body, really hard to stay healthy. And that intentionality transfers over to when I walk outside and I walk into my home after being at work. And I might've had a crappy day at work, but when I pull in the driveway, I might spend five seconds say, I'm gonna bring intention to walk in that door and be super present in my kids. And bringing that intention to every aspect of your life, I think creates such a, an opportunity for us all to live the fulfilled lives that we all are seeking. Mm-hmm. Next question. What is, what is meant by quote unquote, smashing the body? Should we avoid huh. those workouts that leave you lying on the floor questioning why you did this? I personally love, uh, I love those and I feel like I learn and grow, but I'm trying to strike the right balance. So we definitely talked yeah, so, about that before. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so smashing the body, laying on the ground, um, love the feeling. Should we avoid those? I feel like I grow from those. Okay, so let's let's kind of put some um, some defining characteristics around this. So smashing the body is um, there's three ways that your body needs to recover. The first one is um, um, from like a metabolic event, which is what probably what this person is talking about. Mm-hmm. Is you've worked so hard that your your lungs are trying to rip through your chest. You have battery acid pumping through your veins, um, and you 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 don't really know who you are. That what you need to recover from that is time. So if you're running 400s around a track, you get done, you put your hands on your knees, your chest is breathing really heavy. You need time before you can recover and not a whole lot else. And for a lot of people, that's like a minute or two and you're back and you could almost repeat that same 90% effort. For someone that's just on Fran, they might need a day or two, but it's a time component. The other recovery aspects that we need are um, soreness, you know, DOMS or um, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness, and that might take um, a day, two, or three. It's not going to be minutes, so you need uh, more than that. And you can be proactive with all these things and speed them up. And the third one is um, more like has to do with your CNS, which mm-hmm. is that fight or flight. It's autonomic nervous system. It's um, it's basically the stress that your body is experiencing. And this could come in many different forms from um, stress from someone saying crap, some crappy about you on social media, to your job, to your relationships, to um, lack of sleep, to a one rep max lift, they, or being in an event or public speaking. They can all increase your stress levels. For that, there's other protocols we can take in place. What this athlete is talking about and questioning is these ones that leave you on the floor. I love those, man, they, they, I feel like I grow so much for them. What's the right balance? That's the question right there is yes, you should be experiencing them. No, you should not be avoiding them, mm-hmm. but it's the balance is the key. If you're a younger athlete that's new to the sport, you could experience those and it's not, you might not be doing it wrong by experiencing those three or four times a week. That could be okay. If you are a 65-year-old athlete that has been doing CrossFit for 30 years, that's totally unnecessary and you're digging yourself a hole. As the basically the question becomes is when you train, you are actually 
um, getting less fit in a weird way. Mm. What it means is, as I just said, if you run a 400 max effort, Patrick, you run 400 meters around the track as fast as you possibly can. And as you're finishing those last five meters, I go, scratch that, Patrick, do it again, do it again, <laughs> do it again. Yep. I promise you, your next one will be slower. And if you give yep. me a real honest effort, you give me everything you have. And I say, as you're crossing the finish line again, no, Patrick, go again and go again. It's going to be slower than that last. It's going to, if you give me an honest, full effort, you cannot match it again. So what that means is as you continue to train, you're getting less fit. It is only when you rest and recover that your body compensates for the work it was put on. You are callousing your body, getting ready. Your body's saying, oh, if this is what we're gonna do, I'm gonna get better for it. It needs the time to do it. So that's why it might take a minute or two, or it might take a day or two or a mm -hmm. week or two, depending on where you are. Yep. The person, this athlete's asking the right question because it's the magic question. What's that right balance? Mm -hmm. If you could dose yourself with that extreme an effort that you get to this point where we're on the floor trying to figure out who you are as a human being <laughs> and you grow so much from that and you know exactly when to put that next effort in and grow from it again without overtraining or undertraining, yeah. that's the recipe to create the superhuman. So. Yeah. It's the right question. I don't have the answer because it's so specific to that individual. I'll put a macro statement out there. You could experience that if you're young, fresh, strong, and you recover fairly well, and you're new to this, you could experience that probably once a week. Mm -hmm. If you're in the intermediate, let's say you're in your 30s, you've been doing this for a while, let's call that once every two weeks um, uh, or once, uh, once or two, maybe once a week maybe once every two weeks. If you are um, an older athlete in your 50s or something like that, you might never have to go there, right? You mm -hmm. might never want to go there because you, especially if you're new, you might actually experience like a heart attack or something like that. So you want to, mm -hmm. it becomes less important to, to play with that edge. Got it. Next question. What is the best type of exercise the day after a cheat meal? Does one exercise or type of workout prove better than the other when it comes to working out the day after eating poorly? Best exercise after a cheat meal is uh, forgiveness. <laughs> so just don't don't give yourself the guilt. Like, so it sounds like this person is looking for a way to burn off the calories. Yeah, um, yep. it's that's not that's not the thing you're going to do. The thing to do is just get back to your regular routine. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's I mean that's the that's the honest that's the real answer. Now, if you want to figure out how to burn off the calories. If that's what this is like, oh my gosh, I, I went off the rails. I had mm -hmm. the pizza. I had the cake. I had the beer. I feel like crap. It's like, it's, I feel like crap the next day. The thing to do is not to jump into Fran. Like that's not the thing. That's gonna be super high intense. You're gonna dig yourself a deeper hole. You're not, the thing to do would be go low intensity and long. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's like, you know, if you wear a whoop type thing, they give yep. you tons of credit for long and slow. That would be the thing. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for that epoch response, which is excessive post-exercise oxygen consumption. You're not looking for the hormonal neuroendocrine response. What you're looking for is something relatively easy to moderate and relatively long. So if it's really a cheat meal and you have a headache, probably jump on a bike and sit on a bike for you know 90 minutes, slowly mm -hmm. ramping up some intensity. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
I almost feel guilty giving that answer because <laughs> I don't believe in cheat days. <laughs> now, honestly, it, and that's a real thing. I do, like cheat days is like, yeah. I don't believe it should be programmed in. I know The Rock does it, uh, yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I just don't think it's the right thing. Now, having said that, I realize there are certain personality types that this just fits in so perfectly for people and they can be phenomenally dialed in if they know that that's, if there's that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, but for me, it's, um, it's, it's about the consistency thing. It's about what you do all the time. It's, and if you, you know, I just think that it's a slippery slope. Got it. Next question. How important is cooling down after a CrossFit workout? Uh, same answer I'm going to give probably, I could give to 97% of questions, but it depends. Yeah. If you, um, so do I cool down after a CrossFit workout? Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have Katrin cool down after a CrossFit workout? Sometimes. At the games, yes, because mm-hmm. recovery is everything there. Mm. The purpose behind a cool down is to allow your body to flush some of the 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 waste product, if you want to call it, in the, in the muscles. It's kind of an easy way to think about that. So imagine like you've broken down things in the muscles. What you don't want to do is just lie there in a pool of your own fluids and just sit there and let it kind of like sit there and stay stagnant. You, if you continue to move a little bit, it just kind of like flushes things out. Um, I think um, if ever if you had like I I I like to um, sit mm. for a um, uh, I just like to do nothing for when I do, do my workouts, and then I'll do a second piece, and that second piece almost acts as my cool down. But after. I, my normal protocol is I take the 6.30 a.m. class at my gym, um, and that's the high-intensity piece of what I do. It's always the Metcon, and I, I get into my day that way, and then I'm all warmed up. I'm ready to go, and then I play with some like accessory weightlifting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I do that Metcon, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll sit on my – we're outside in the parking lot right now, mm-hmm. but I'll sit mm-hmm. on my mat, honestly, for, for 10 minutes um, just doing nothing. It's a really mm-hmm. cool kind of like – meditative places kind of sit. Um, so I'm not, I am, I am not a, um, I am not a practicer, a practitioner of cooling down, but I do understand the benefits. Um, I just don't think that they're, it's, it's a one percenter type thing for someone like me. Um, and it's a one percenter for someone like Katrin, but the one percents matter for Katrin. Yeah. Okay. Next one, a little bit of a longer question, but I'm 15 years old and this is my third year of doing CrossFit. My goal is to get to the CrossFit games. My gym organizes only two CrossFit team classes per week. And I feel frustrated because I want to improve my CrossFit skills. And I think that only two classes a week aren't enough. So I started running three times a week, doing yoga two or three times a week and doing squat therapy every day. I'm also using every source like uh, podcasts or books to learn more about CrossFit and really paying attention to my recovery, sleep and nutrition. Am I doing it right? Is there something else that I can do to improve my CrossFit performance? Okay, cool question. Um, glad you asked the question. Are you doing it right? I need to know a little bit more uh, to know if you're doing it right, being 15 years old, doing CrossFit three years and trying to make it to the games. Um, but it sounds like to me, um, here's it. Regardless of like the, the CrossFit class and all that stuff, here's mm-hmm. the, what you should be doing. You should be getting strong. That's honestly like learn how to move really, really, really well. 
and get really strong. And those are two different things. Mm-hmm. What I mean by is learn how to move the Olympic lifts really well. So you don't need to lift. If you're 15 years old, you do not need to lift over 115 pounds mm-hmm. on Olympic lifts. But try to back squat 400. Like mm-hmm. that's, I'm, I'm being totally serious with those numbers. Mm-hmm. Like you should be shooting for a 400 pound back squat and having the most beautiful 95 pound Olympic lifts in the world. Mm-hmm. And then when it's time for you to try to put those two things together, you'll be ready. So yeah. work hard on those slow lifts, um, be able to press 200 pounds, be able to back squat 400, deadlift 500, um, and be super mobile and technically proficient with the Olympic lifts. From mm-hmm. a, And that's, what takes years, and the reason I'm focusing on those is because strength takes years, conditioning yep. takes months. You need five or six years of serious weightlifting to to be at that level. Um, so that, that's what I would put my focus on. So from there, it lines up really well, doesn't it? Where you're gonna really lift really heavy um, and smartly three days a week, and you take your CrossFit classes with your teens twice a week, and now mm-hmm. you're all set up. Mm. What, um... What would those numbers be? Those strength numbers be uh, for a female? Because I, oh, I'm, I'm assuming that 400 pound back squat would be um, what you'd aim for as yep, a 15, a, 16 year old boy. But it, uh, that's first, first off, I realize that's that's um, um, aspirational mm-hmm. for a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. That would be incredible um, for a girl. Those numbers, it's a 300 pound back squat. So we're looking for a 300 pound back squat. Um, the deadlift is uh, a 350. Mm-hmm. And press would be like a 155. Got it. Cool. Next question. If I want to get my morning workout in, what's a good way to quickly get my body moving well right after waking up? I often feel stiff and like I'm just not neurologically ready for explosive movement, even after a pre-workout shake, uh, workout drink. I usually have less than an hour before <laughs> what, I What? The pre-workout to- doesn't fix it? <laughs> I usually have less than an hour before I have to get to work and would like to make the most of those early mornings. Okay. Um, so here's a, here's an easy hack to this is jump in the shower, a really hot mm. shower, mm. jump in a really hot shower for three, four five minutes, your body warms up. And also when you get out of the shower, you have a lot more mobility. You're not as creaky and cracky. Interesting. Um, it, it makes a, it makes a massive difference. It's like you are literally, literally warming up. Yep. You're warming up your body. Here's another thing is um, I'm, I'm assuming this person's probably working out in their house. It sounds like they have an hour there. Like yeah. They get out of bed and they um, is um, grab a pair of, if you don't have them, buy them five and 10 pound dumbbells. Mm. Sounds ridiculous. Grab a pair of five pound dumbbells. And the first thing you do with those five pound dumbbells is bring them up and do um, 10 shoulder presses, mm-hmm. really stretching out the overhead position on every single over on every shoulder press with dumbbells, hammer grip the whole time, meaning palms face each other and do 10 pausing for two or three seconds at the top of every single one. Then from there, drop those five or 10 pound dumbbells and do five stiff legged deadlifts, essentially touching your toes with weights. Yep. Then from there, pick the weights up and do five front squats with that as five pound plates. Cool. We've now we kind of brought yourself through all the major kind of ranges of motion there. Yep. From there, put those down, do the same thing again, again with tens, um, again with uh, 10 pound weights, with the again for 10 reps, pausing at two seconds at the end range of motion for every single one. And I promise you, take a three to five minute hot shower and do those things for that's going to take you three to five minutes. And 10 minutes, you're ready to rock and roll. You're going to be totally warmed up. Take it. Take it. All right. 
I'm a 17 year old CrossFit athlete that loves the sport. Obviously, there are teenagers listening today. Lots of them. Yeah. Obviously, there are already some phenoms in the sport, and I will continue to put the work in regardless. But will the kids at the top now continue be the continue to be the ones dominating in say five or ten years? So when he says the kids now, you think he's saying like. Matt Fraser and no, I think Noah. he probably means like the teens who are oh. um, at the top. You know, obviously when they're at the CrossFit Games, the teens who are currently winning. Oh, when you flash saying. forward and go to the games in five to ten years, are yep. they going to be the ones who are still at the top of the Got game? It. That makes more sense. I thought it was a kid. <laughs> call, I thought it was like a seventeen-year-old calling like Matt, calling Matt Fraser are a kid. Are these kids still? Are these kids still going to be at the top? <laughs> um. I don't know the answer to that. That's yeah. a good question. I don't yeah. know. That's great. Let's let's. I'm really interested to see that. Haley Adams is. Haley Adams is on the track to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have no idea now. Who cares? Like, mm. uh, like honestly, like okay. You, but the other part where you said in that he said something like, "I'm still going to put in the work regardless." Yep. Yeah. Then just why does that matter at all? If they're the, <laughs> if you're saying like because you can't match them today, that you're not going to be able to match them in ten years. That's not true. Like, I'm sure that there's some kids that are dominating now that are going to continue to dominate. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that aren't even doing this sport that aren't going to pick it up for five or six more years after you. Yeah. And if you have that mentality, are we going to pass you? You can pass them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many stories of middle, um, middle to okay high school athletes that end up being like Tom Brady, for example. Like, just like, start there. Yeah. Like, okay, high school athlete. No one thought he played Division One football. He actually ended up doing it. He didn't start every game. Got drafted in the, the last round or something like that, sixth round. Mm. Nobody thought he was, he, was a, he was the third string quarterback and became the best quarterback ever. So for him to go, like, are the athletes that are dominating in high school going to be dominating when we're in the pros? Some are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Russell Wilson was dominating high school. He still is now but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. It just does like, it's not a real question. Sorry. What, what if, um, the, what I was kind of reading into the question, um, was given that, given that the CrossFit game certainly is still a relatively new sport and nobody's, nobody's done it for, nobody's done it at a high level competitive level from when they were 16 to when they were 26, at least, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe somebody has, and you can correct me. But I think the question I saw was, is, do you think it's going to be possible to be at the top of the game when you're 16 and maintain everything that you need to maintain in order to continue to be as good as, relatively speaking, in 10 years to somebody who maybe hasn't been doing it competitively for 10 years? Is that, it's kind yes. of like a, to me, it was kind of like a longevity question as much as anything else. Absolutely. It happens in every other sport. For us to make like these exceptions, this is what people do in every sport. They go, our sport is different. Yeah. Like every business owner does it. My, <laughs> right. my business is unique. Yep. No one experiences these things that my business is going through, which everyone says in every relationship. Yep. Everyone has their own little flavors of the same thing. So yes, LeBron James dominated in high school. He dominates in the pros. Like, yep. yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to happen in our sport too. Haley Adams dominated when she was a teen. She's going to get probably – now she's in her second year of being a top five athlete or top ten athlete. She's probably going to do really, really well going forward. But that's not – because that happens doesn't mean it's the rule. That's all I'm saying. 
Mm-hmm. There's as many exceptions as there are um, examples. So it doesn't it doesn't mean anything either which way because athletes dominate at a young age and they continue to. Equally, as many people that dominate at a young age fall off. Mm. And equally, as many athletes that are non-existent on not on the radar, then become ex, um, you know the best. Mm-hmm. So it happens in every sport. Um, our, yes, our sport is young. There are some athletes so that have come on the scene. So Ben Smith came on the scene when he was, I think, nineteen. Yep. He's now he's now thirty. He's been to the games every single year. So yeah, there's yeah the the Pancheck the younger Panchecks you know, are, um, came on super young. They've been consistent games players. So yeah, there's the case studies of those. Yep. But there's also the guys that are late bloomers that don't mm-hmm. show up until later as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So the next question is, and then there's the Sam Briggs that are going to like, that are going to like just be competitive until they're like 84 years old. Yeah. All right. The next question is, a, is sort of related to maybe that a little bit, but you've mentioned that elite athletes are not necessarily on the same gentle sloping trajectory at a distant horizon of health that other CrossFitters are on. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I was hoping you could talk more about the risks of the way elites train that might not end up, uh, might not end them up at the same distant horizon. Okay, so let uh, a lot. Um, I think I this person's obviously listening to the podcast, or they yep. have their level one, or they're fairly. Let me kind of bring everyone else up to speed. Which is um, the, the, what I've said is the majority of us doing CrossFit should be on a path to where we're trying to be fitter ten years from now, from where we are right now. That's mm-hmm. the idea. It's a, this really low trajectory towards a very distant horizon. Just it, what you do today doesn't really matter that much. It's not even really what you do today and tomorrow. It's what you do over the course of the week and the month. And are we on the right path to be in a better place next year than we are this year? And then rinse, wash, repeat that over and over and over again. Now, to do that, you don't need to do lots of volume. You don't need to do high-risk movements. You don't need to lift crazy high weights. What you need to do is be consistent, move fairly well, and work kind of hard. That's very different than Katrin today, who we are two weeks out from the start of the CrossFit Games. Like we have to pour everything we have into her athletic potential to maximize it in two weeks. And because of that, the last three weeks, so we're starting our taper today. Before that, like the last two weeks were brutal, mm-hmm. like brutal. And she did so much volume and we're on the edge of overtraining and she doesn't feel really good all the time. And her ankles get sore and uh, these, <laughs> my tiny little baby ears. Um, I'm going to get you other headphones. <laughs> I know. Um, so the idea behind that is what, where we, me, you, and the majority of us are looking for this slow trajectory towards distant horizon, Katrin's is this massive upward slope that has to peak out in 14 days. Yep. So to, for, that, for that to happen, the amount of volume and intensity and loading and training sessions and hours goes up massively. Now, the, the listener's question is, um, 
Well, actually, remind me of the question. Yep. Um, it was mostly just uh, I was wondering if you could talk about more about the risks the way elite athletes train that might not oh. end them up in the same distant horizon. So that's what the risks are, is that they train with much higher volume. They train much higher loading. They push through nagging things. They push through things that every one of us should stop. Mm. If we felt – if I felt any one of these things that Katrin feels on any given day – I would stop or back off or do something else because it's not in my long-term interests. My long-term interest is, can I come back tomorrow and still give a really good effort? Mm -hmm. And I am not going to risk anything for that. Katrin is going to risk everything to be on the podium. Yep. She will give up almost anything in her life to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So the risks are varied, they are high, they are across the board, everything from the movements that they choose. So I don't do handstand walks. I don't do pistols. I don't do um, rebounding box jumps. I don't do muscle-ups. I don't do kipping handstand push-ups. Um, I don't even sprint at maximum speed anymore. Mm. If she didn't do any of those things, she would not be competitive. Mm -hmm. She has to do all those things. Mm -hmm. Next question. I have a small group of I have a small group class of six to eight athletes, pretty consistently the same people. Recently, there's been a change, and suddenly a couple of them in the group have become quite competitive around scores, the weights they're using, etc., and are accusing others of miscounting or lowering their own standards around range of motion so that they can score higher. It's bothering a few of my more scaled members who are trying to keep their uh, their workouts to themselves. How would you advise addressing this? Yeah, I don't think that's 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 bothering the scaled athlete. So, the scaled athletes would be bugged if um, everyone's getting competitive. That's mm -hmm. why the scaled athletes would get competitive. The competitive athletes are the ones that are getting bugged because they don't think other people are holding the standards, mm. and now they're getting bugged because of that. And the scaled athletes are getting bugged that the that the 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 competitive athletes are getting bugged. Mm -hmm. So I know it's a weird little workaround, but um, <laughs> it's it's not something that you're going to look for your athletes to solve. It's something you need to solve by by in, instilling the, the the standards and by instilling the movements. If they're mm -hmm. thinking that, if they think people are shaving reps or not hitting the standards, that's probably happening. Mm -hmm. That's for real. So they don't have this problem at super high level gyms because the coaches are, I, I don't like the word, but I'm going to put it like relentless mm -hmm. in enforcing that things are done. I'm not going to say to the right standards. Things are done correctly. Mm -hmm. that, um, that people are moving with the integrity intended in the movements. Not necessarily just because of leaderboards and scoring, but because functional movements necessitate range of motion. Because our sport is constantly varied, functional movements performed at relatively high intensity. That functional movement piece, part of that is making sure that you are working to both end ranges of motion. And because what we want to have is measurable, observable, repeatable data. Those two things are what make up what we do. Everybody talks about the constantly varied function movements performed at relatively high intensity. Well, a lot of boot camps do that. Yep. The difference is we measure it, and there's a scoreboard. And if you are not making everyone run to the same distance, we've talked about this before. Yep. There's a reason that your members should be talking. If some athletes are putting up on the scoreboard, but 
they're not squatting to depth, there's a reason that they should be talking. If some people are not locking out barbells over their head, there's a reason they should be talking. Now, it takes a tactful coach to know how to address that the right way. Mm -hmm. What most will do is have the awkward conversation that strips away all um, of the relationships that have been built up for so long about like, this is a place of integrity. If you want to be here, this is the way we stand for it. We have high standards. That's not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. The way you do it is with empathy and from their point of view. And you just talk to them. An example would be, um, um, you know, let's say you see somebody doing the sevens workout and they stop on deadlift number six. Mm-hmm. You could actually, instead of going, whoa, 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 Bill, 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 seven reps. I saw you cheat, man. That's, you're cheating. You can't do that. You need to do seven reps back to the barbell. Like that's not going to help out anybody or talk to him after class and be like, hey, Bill, um, we noticed that you didn't do all the reps and you wrote down RX. Like that, we don't stand for that. Mm-hmm. Even that doesn't work. Yeah. What you can do is do this in a very tactful way, which actually is a benefit and make the person feel good. As the person walks away from that sixth deadlift, you calmly walk over and go, Bill, Bill, you don't need to scale this. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not scaling it. It's like, yeah, you, you, you're doing six reps. You don't need to do six. You can do all the reps. Mm-hmm. Like I did, I, oh, I, I did. And then regardless of whether they're cheating or not, you're like, you're talking to the person like you don't need to scale. Like you're good enough. You're strong enough. You don't need to scale this thing. And they're like, that's cool. They recognize I'm good. I don't need to. And regardless of whether the person was doing this unconsciously or on purpose, doesn't matter. And by the way, the majority of the time the people are not, I promise you, this is where you have to meet somebody empathetically. You have to go into the conversation with the right intentions. Most of these people that are quote unquote shaving reps or shortening the range of motion are not doing it on purpose. Mm. They're not. And what they just need is an empathetic viewpoint of how to get better. You could compete, Bill. You could be phenomenal at this sport. I see it, man. The way you've grown through this, you could qualify for the masters. Like this is, you could be in the top 200. When we do that, we want to make sure that we are doing everything because we do this for real. There's a judge and the judge is making sure that you're hitting all of these range of motion things. So what I'll do just special for you is when we're doing these workouts, I'll do like a little extra hawk, you know, hawk, uh, hawk eyeing to mm-hmm. make sure that you're doing this. So when we get to competition, you're ready, man. Mm-hmm. You can do this. So probably more than a two minute answer, but <laughs> um, the idea behind this is it's on, it's the onus is on the coach. Like yeah. it's up to you. If, if your members are doing this, do like too late, like you gotta be on this thing from sooner than your members talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question. I'm a member and a coach at a gym whose owner is absent. I mean, both mentally and physically absent. Very little care in programming, very bad communication, inconsistent leadership, etc. It might be easy to say, well, just leave. But I feel like this is complicated. I do want uh, I don't want to enable this behavior. But I've been at this gym for five and a half years. I feel like uh, these members need people that care about them and put in effort because it's not coming from the top. Aside from just leaving, is there any advice for coaches in a situation where their gym owner's effort is lacking? If this behavior was being exhibited by my boss in my professional career, I would leave. But for some reason, I have a hard time cutting ties in this scenario. Great question. 
it's too bad to hear that if the boss was exhibiting that behavior in their other position, they would leave. Mm. I would like to think that this person would have a conversation with that leader. Leadership is not by position. Leadership is what you make of it. Yeah. And because that person is quote unquote your boss, doesn't mean that you can't have the hard conversation with that individual. And what I would like to see this person do is have that conversation with the boss and have it tactfully, but have it in a tough love way, which is just what this person wrote in. Mm. I don't want to leave here. I love this place. I am invested in this place. The members love this. I feel like they deserve something more than what they're getting. The feeling is, you don't have to do it definitive, not say you haven't been here. The Mm -hmm. feeling I get is that you're not fully invested in this. It seems like, so you leave open-ended, it seems like the members are starting to feel like, not definitive, feel like you're not super invested in the outcome of this gym or what happens here. I'm curious to hear what your stance are and what you'd like to see out of this place. Mm-hmm. And from there, the person says like, yeah, you're right. I'm not like, I just, I want to sell it. Like now you have an opening. Yep. Maybe he wants to sell it. You could rally some of the people in your gym and buy it. Or he goes, no, I'm, what are you talking about? Like, I'm super invested. This is my life passion. This is what I, okay, now, you know, this is, this is his ceiling. This is as much as he's going to give. Mm-hmm. It's time for you to leave. Or he goes, Wow. No one's ever called me out like that. And he changes. Like yep. there's, but have that conversation. Like don't just leave and walk out the door when something gets tough. Have the conversation, then see what opportunities present themselves. And if he goes, if he hates it and he goes, no, you're fired. Like, okay, you're going to, you're thinking about leaving anyway. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no real bad outcome to that scenario. Yep. Yep. That might've been the first one I answered in under two minutes. <laughs> Next one. We are transitioning to two coaches per class and are discussing how to best split the class between the two coaches. How do you best split class? Um, how do you best split the class between two coaches? Do you have a senior and a junior cla- uh, coach? Is one person taking the lead? Do you split the class just in half? Yeah. Um, okay. I'll be very direct to this one. Um, you do not split the class in half. And you do not have a junior or a senior. You have a cruise director and a support. Mm. So you have somebody that is in charge of the group management. Basically, all right, guys, two lines, grab your barbells. Everyone's in two lines, two single file lines. Excellent. Together, guys, barbells up. Let's bring them up to the front rack, and we're going to do five elbow rotations on me. And they do five, active mobility elbow yep. rotations. Yep. And the other person is walking around and allows them to give all of the small little one-on-one cues to each individual athlete. And or that person can then go over to the newest people that need the most attention, really, really get in there and help them out, bring them up to speed and allow the coach to work with the other 12, 13, 15 athletes. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially, it's not because one is more senior or junior. I would love to have somebody else running the class and me being the person that kind of like does the little whispers in the ears and being the, you know, the, the CrossFit whisperer. Um, but I, but, um, what you don't want to do is split the glass into two. That that is definitely not what you want to do. You definitely want to go like, okay, we're going to lead the class, but I'm the, I'm the head coach of this class. And this other person is just going to kind of, uh, be on the side. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, It's something you talk about a lot is the, in a class being able to be, do the mic, the macro, and then, get into the micro and then back out to the macro. So kind of like it's you get the macro and I get the micro today, right? Totally. Yes. Yes. Really interesting. Yep. All right. Last one we've got today. 
To steal from Tim Ferriss, what is the advice you hear all the time, however, is garbage or not recommended? Basically the best bad advice. Such a good question. The best bad advice I, I've heard that I hear everywhere is work harder. Mm. It's usually, maybe I'm biased because the people that I'm around are all pretty hard workers. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a matter of working harder. I think it's a matter of making sure what you're working towards is the right things. Mm -hmm. I think it's about creating efficiency. I don't think it's about doing more work. I think it's about doing better work. I think it's about, you know, in entrepreneurship, they talk about this all the time. If you're like Gary Vee, it's like, you know, just, or like Elon Musk, like you work 20 hours and you're going to get farther ahead than the next person. Yep. Like that, that's crap. That's not going to get us to fulfillment. That's not going to get us closer to what we want to become. That's going to get mm -hmm. us more tired in the long run. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, CrossFit Games athletes. Everybody at the CrossFit Games is working their ass off. Yeah. It's not a matter of who's working harder. It's a matter of who's working with the most intention, who's doing all the small things the right way, who's creating the best efficiencies, who is learning. So to me, like in entrepreneurship, it's not about this is a, this is a trap I fell into is, you know, I get three years into my business. It's now humming. It's now doing a lot. So to make it grow, what am I told to do as an entrepreneur? work harder, mm -hmm. like work harder. Well, okay. So I work harder. I put in another hour a day. I get there an hour earlier, an hour later, and it gets to another certain point and I, it's supposed to grow and do something else. So what am I supposed to do? Work harder. So now I skip lunches. I skip workouts. So now what am I supposed to do? Work harder. It's like, wh what? Not at all. Yeah. In, in entrepreneurship, the, the secret is learn how to be a leader. That's the secret. In the CrossFit Games, it's about learning how to get the most bang for your buck. If everyone is in the gym for six or seven hours, who's getting the most out of those six or seven hours? If you're trying to be a better anything, at a certain point, to me, here's the deal, is hard work is the price of admission. Mm. That's like, it's, it's a gimme for me. Like, yeah, if you're not gonna work hard, then we're, we're probably not gonna have the conversation. Yep. If you're not going to work hard, you're probably not going to be a part of the circle. So now that like it's there, don't tell me to work harder. Let's figure something else out. Yeah, love that. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who sends us questions. Keep doing it. You can find me on Instagram, P.S. Cummings, um, and uh, drop me a DMM, a DM, and I will see it and I will add it to our list. And until next week, stay strong. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.